Welcome everyone to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today I guarantee a very lively, very interesting, very unique point of view on sales. What makes sales successful from a CRO's point of view, how marketing can help support that. And I'll give you a little bit of a teaser before I introduce uh, Anuj here because Anuj has a perspective on sales as disruptive sales. And he and I had a fantastic conversation before we hit the record button and we couldn't wait to record this. We just, we did it the next day. So Anuj Kumar, former CRO, current CRO, right? You've been in sales for a long time. You're actually a trained engineer. Yeah. I remember that, right? You, mm -hmm. You've led global sales teams, right? You've at the highest levels, you've worked with clients like AWS. And so you've kind of been there, done that and have a, have a point of view on the other side. Maybe do us a favor and give us a little bit more background on who you are and what's gotten you to where you are right now. And then we're going to jump into disruptive sales and, and talk a little bit about that. Awesome. Steve, again, thanks for the opportunity. Thoroughly enjoyed our introduction literally yesterday, less than 24 hours ago, and really glad to be here and excited about you know, hopefully talking to you about what I've been doing, but also learning from you know the industry and my peers instead you know, in terms of how things go. So briefly about me, um, like you said, I am a trained engineer and double E for that, uh, but I can change the light bulb if you paid me, which is you don't want to pay me to code. Uh, long time ago, I would say between 25, 27 years ago, my first boss essentially said, I think Anuj, you're better with customers because you can take the value and explain what we do better than most engineers can. And I think you should carry a bag. And once I moved to the dark side of selling, uh, initially as an individual quota carrier, made, made some good money, never regretted it, never looked back and have enjoyed uh, building go-to-market teams for a bunch of companies. But most importantly, I would say for, I would say two to three very disruptive times that I was blessed with that I would love to, you know, share my stories here today. Well, with that, I think we're all probably on the edge of our seats, right? In terms of, we think we're really familiar with sales, whether we're, we're in sales, we're in marketing, right? We're, we're in support of what you do, but explain to us your point of view on what disruptive sales is for us. Sure. I, so let me give you a little bit of story and a background on why we call it disruptive or I call it disruptive. Um, imagine you have to go to a CIO or a CXO for that matter uh, and explain to them that, good morning, Mr. or Ms. CIO. Today, I'm here to explain to you why I would like you to spend millions of dollars on software that you could download yourself, build yourself, run yourself, maintain yourself, Hired a bunch of people in funny countries to run it forever at half the price or a tenth of the price that I can. And most importantly, it's software that you'll never see. It's not even SaaS. So it's, it's not something on your screen, but something that runs behind the scenes for you to make the software that you use daily run efficiently. And imagine you have to sell all of that in a subscription economy today, which is 2023, but 22 years ago in 2001, trying to explain to people that unlike the rest of the industry that buys, that you buy software from and then pay them a separate fee for support, I will basically charge you the same fee like a 
like a periodical or like your music subscription month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year. You keep paying me forever for this wonderful free software that in your free time or spend of time, you can just run it yourself. That I hope is kind of my definition of disruptor, which is everything you know about how you procure, how you run, how you support, how you keep your customer success and customers happy is completely different than every other company or every other method of you actually interacting with another company. That to me is disruptive. So when you, when you told that story, instantly I'm thinking in my mind, why is this guy, if I'm on the other side of the table, a buyer, why is this guy saying, like, why would I do that, right? But then what it did is it absolutely piqued my curiosity and it said, I'm going to hear something that I'm not going to hear from somebody else, right? That was kind of my takeaway. But what, do you, what is your desired takeaway? Of the desire, see, I, I always believe that customers or prospects, at the end of the day, they're all buyers, they're people. And we all do and take decisions based on value on what we assign to something that we interact with. Whether it's personal shopping that you go to a mall for, or professional software or things that you buy in IT on a daily basis, they're all emotionally charged decisions based on the value you assign to them. Everything I said initially about why would you actually end up paying for something that you could do it yourself? There has to be something you assign value. And the value simplistically is, while it's fun doing it the first time, it's just not just boring, it's extremely hard to do it at scale and it's next to impossible to maintain it rather than support it, which means you've got to keep coming back and keep running the same stuff again and again and again. And that part is the killer. While you're getting all the benefit of the cost basically coming down because everybody has access to software, the cost is extremely high if you try to do it yourself. And that's the equation of value that, we, that you were able to then assign in the executive's mind to say, Yep, I think it makes sense for me to engage with somebody to take care of that while I get the full benefit of basically this entire set of developers and industry and everybody else that's helping build it into an ecosystem that I can actually buy and actually control. So a number of things that you just said in there that were extremely yes. important. You brought up emotion, right? I mean... When you talk about B2B and, and software and known quantity entity, right? We want to think, and especially the, the SaaS companies, right? We all think as, some, as soon as somebody knows like our, our tech, right? And they see it, they're going to want to buy it, right? You know, like it's obvious, right? It's just, there's, there's nothing else to it. Just show it to them and, and the floodgates will open. I'm a SaaS founder myself. It doesn't happen that way, right? And I think what you're really? doing is you're saying you're building an emotion and intensity around this sale, right? Why would I do this? And then you swing the pendulum over to the other side. And it's almost like, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Exactly. See, it's more about why wouldn't you, not why you would. Because right. the why you would is always the logical part of your brain trying to compute or trying to compare or trying to come up with an equation that pleases your mind to say, these are all the reasons why I should do it, but there's always a but at the end of the sentence. And then the other one is why wouldn't you do it? Is your heart speaking and say, I, I actually love this and I like this. And why wouldn't I actually buy it? It's a big, simple example I'll give you is 
Actually, one of my favorite books is a book um, by two brothers, Dan and Chip Heath, called Switch. And the entire, um, entire, I would say, thesis of the book is most, if not all of our decisions are based on the hard. And if you take a simple example of going to a mall, if you like a piece of clothing or a shoe that you saw in the first place, you're 99% likely to buy that by the time you finish your rounds in the mall, because all you're doing is your heart's made up and your mind is trying to compare it with 16 other shops, but then you come back and say, I think even though it might be twice as expensive and has colors that nobody else has, or you would look pretty odd in it, you would convince yourself that you're going to look really good in the most expensive gear, the first one that you actually liked. And so if you take that personal journey and I go back to it's emotional. And sales is about connecting stories. You know, we're all storytellers, salespeople are, and marketing people are. But I think those stories connect because we talk to people who are buyers, not companies that are arbitrarily assigned names, but we are talking to people who are actually, like you and me, make a decision based on their heart. And then everything I have to do from there on is do all these three-letter acronyms of ROIs and TCOs and all the other things that add up to justify that the decision that you already made with your heart. But what was interesting about how you did that was you didn't come with a, a feature list, right? And a comparison mm -hmm. chart, right? You told a story that literally kind of outlined all the pain they would have to keep going through and the processes they would have to do and how that would, you know, rip apart their time and, and they got better things to do to focus on to move their company forward, right? And so... You, in emotion, there's, in B2B, the one thing that's very different than emotion in like B2C, this is a very large purchase. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This has impact on the career, right, of the person who's making that decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is where the emotion comes in, Steve, right? It's pushing. Right. Right. It, it has to be. It has to be. And you have to be able to connect to it, right? You have to get these people to, you first have to appreciate it if it's important for them or not. And you have to get them to appreciate it that you're in this with them, not simply justified for. So now I'm curious because I can see that you're extremely good at, at doing this, but being in charge globally, uh, globally of sales teams, yeah. you've had to translate this and you've had to teach others on your team in order to do this. When you, when you talk to them, you teach them what, how, what's the, what the most important things that you instruct them on in order to be a good storyteller, evoke the emotions, bring the, you know, the buyer along with you. What are those things that are important to know and do? You know, actually, I usually people talk in sets of three. I boil it down to just set of one, which is. If you ever want to be successful in a sales job, you should figure out a way to be able to ask more questions instead of giving more answers. Mm -hmm. And the more you can train yourself to have the ability to do that, you're able to, to your point, not talk about the feature, not ever talk about the price, but only talk about value. You know, we've talked value selling, there's books written on it, there's videos, a lot of stuff online. And I've learned a lot from the knowledge that is out there. I truly believe that at the end of the day, what value selling is, is simply the ability to question what people do in their jobs. To your point, it's a personal 
it affects their careers, which is a very personal part of their journey. It's not just professional part of the journey. You know, it's who they want to be in the company that you're talking to. And everything you're trying to sell to them, nobody wants to be sold to, really. People want to be able to say, you're here to help me be successful. And I need to understand what is it that's going to make you successful, right? And if I can understand what that is, I can generally then take whatever I have to sell technically, but align it to how it will help you achieve your goals, which is the true value of what I do. The rest is just software with features and bits and bytes and pricing and terms and condition. Those all come later. They all come to fit into the logic part of, do you buy all of it now? Do you buy it later? Do you integrate it with somebody else or you do it later? Those are all things you can figure out once you know that the fundamental value that I'm trying to give to you is, have I understood it or not? And that only comes if in the conversation, the buyer talks more than the seller. And that's what I train my people on. Figure out a way that we can keep asking. So when I test my salespeople, I do not test them on the answers they give me. I always test them on the question they ask. If I'm interviewing, I'm always questioning. I'm sorry, I'm also testing on the question they ask me. If I suppose I'm interviewing for a position, I will first, if the candidate doesn't ask me a single question, usually my opening line, do you have any questions for me? And if they have no questions for me, I basically end the interview in five minutes or less. I'll say, I'll give you a brief of the company since you have no questions. I have actually no questions for you either. I probably just have a couple on your resume and we'll be done. And I declare it and I move. I'm pretty brutal about it. Because if either you didn't ask me the questions for only two reasons, either you didn't bother to check, which means you didn't bother to care, or you actually don't know anything, but you're still scared of asking. And if either of those traits are true, it's, it's a dead on arrival on my team because you will behave like that with my customers and I cannot have that on the team. Now I'm thinking, when we met yesterday, I'm glad I had some questions for you. Or we no, you had a lot of today. questions. No, I, I know I had a lot of questions, but you know, that's how conversations <laughs> flow, Steve, right? Unless right, you, unless right. you, that's the genuine part of me trying to understand you and you trying to understand me as individuals and what we are doing. We all have, you know, things to do. I would say the part that comes with it, the underlying thing of questions is where you spend your time, you know? I kind of take time as, as, as salespeople are always talking about, we're always performance driven. We have quotas, we have timelines, we live in 90 day wars, sure. But I firmly believe what you do with your time determines your outcomes. And there's a saying in my native Hindi language that says, if you have 10 hours to chop a tree, make sure nine hours is used to sharpening the ax. So the, the more you prep, the more questions I'll have. If I prepped enough, I will have hundreds of questions for you. But if I didn't, I'll have nothing for you, which means I spend no time prepping. I spend all time trying to release what is in my head and the sales portion, which is the talking part. So sorry, I just gave you a whole view, but my whole thing is ask more and talk less, you know, in a different way. So I know that you also prepare your teams for something else. And you talk about it as embracing the pain. Yeah. Right. And you said before we hit the record button here, you're like, you liked that, didn't you, Stephen? I said, well, that's one of the things, right? That you, you, you have to be able to embrace that 
especially as a salesperson, right? You know, but what, what does that mean by you? Because it's one thing to prepare for the pain. It's another to actually embrace the pain. And I want to know what your, what your thoughts and the difference on that is. So I, yes. So I would say, I think also the personal, let me give you the personal part and then kind of the, um, the professional part on it. The personal part is, you know, there are salespeople and CROs and CMOs that are very good at different stages of a company, I think. And for me personally, I believe I'm good at a certain stage. And the first thing you have to do is be self-aware that you know what you're good at and what you're not good at or what you like or what you don't like. And when I say pain, it's not that there's pain. There's, there's this different kind of pain in terms of the effort is what I call pain. There's a lot of different things you have to do at different stages of a company. And when I talk about pain, I just declare it in the open that it's not just a rosy thing of getting leads from marketing, having conversations with prospects and tracking convergent ratios for you to deliver your numbers. The pain comes from having to spend the time to prepare, having to spend the time to genuinely be interested in the buyers about what they do. And that pain is the effort that it'll take you more than normal to actually be successful in your, in your role. And my, my desire to share that it's about the pain is there is, there is joy at the end of the pain. I mean, no marathon runner achieves a better time unless they push their bodies a little more for which they get a little bit of pain. You know, nobody that does more exercise in their gyms and says, I'm going to push that bench by another five pounds today. And it pains you. But you wake up next morning feeling exhilarating because you can see the results on yourself. So to me, that is the analogy of my pain. I'm not saying you break something, but I'm saying, unless you push a little and you feel the pain a little, you actually feel that you actually achieve something and be ready for it because that's, that's the thrill of the chase, right? It's not just about doing mechanical conversion ratios and things that in this job that we do or any job, but it's about pushing it a little, but be ready for it hurting you a little bit too. <laughs> the the pain, no, no, no gain, no pain. No, no gain, no pain. Right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Translates to totally get it. So I want to kind of take a little bit of a turn here. And there's an entire support system that's supposed to be in place for sales. Sure. All right. It's all about revenue. It's all about sales. Everything else is in support of that, right? And CMOs are we're trained these days, deep pipeline penetration, revenue-minded, right? What does that mean to you? If you were to say to a, the world of CMOs that are going to be watching this, you know, in this world of disruptive sales, embracing the pain, asking questions, telling stories, how do you want them to support you? First of all, I think, um, yes, the numbers kind of tell the story. So you could argue that sales is front and center. Everybody else is in support of it. I think I won't name him, but a very famous person said, either you sell or you build. There's no room for the third function in my company. Now, I treat marketing slightly differently, I would say. I think marketing and sales are essentially peers. They're just two peas in a pod and they just do very complementary functions. For example, 
marketing is helping set the stage for me to legitimately actually have the ability to talk to somebody on the other side of the line for them to recognize what I am and who I do. Perfect example, I'm talking to you today thanks to a CMO making an introduction to you, right? It wasn't another salesperson talking an introduction to you. It was, a, it was a marketing person because she saw that there is something in the future for me or for us to have this. And that's the second part. Marketers are at least six to 12 to 18 months ahead of sales. That's the way I look at marketing. They can see the light of their, their job function, I would say, is to help sales come 12, 18 months later and grab the opportunity that they have actually created for us to try to make the best of. So that's the first part. That timing is way ahead of us. They're smarter. They have to figure the whole story out, take it to a very wide audience. And for us to have the ability to just legitimately say, hi, Manuj, I'm calling you from ABC. Would you like to have five minutes? Can I just have five minutes of your time? The right up entry comes from marketing. Once, and then, you know, we try to do the joys of selling. We have the thrill of the chase. We close a deal. We all celebrate. But true sales starts when the customer signs the PO. That's when actually sales starts. Because now you actually have legitimately paid me something, done a transaction, and now you expect something in return. And that's when I believe sales and marketing have slightly different functions. We call it customer success now. But right. Forget sales and customer success. Marketing has an even more important role to play in saying the brand that you associated yourself with, that you put your personal stake in and your professional career on the line for, has other things to offer, is continuing to do well, independent of sales, independent of customer success. So that when that person who signed with us goes to their peers or their management or their board, for example, if you're selling at CXO level, they can stand up and say, this is the company I signed it. Look at what they're doing in the future now. See they're in the, in the news for this, or this is the other customer they signed up. This is who my peers are. That all comes from the synergy of marketing and sales. It doesn't come from just, because we, it, sometimes I say, you know, the other thing I tell my salespeople is we're not in the hit and run business. You know, sorry, it's a very bad analogy, but right. you know, it's in the subscription economy, I have to make sure that the, every second of every day, I continue to provide value. Otherwise, you can just cut me off. It's like one browser tab away from the next competitor that you are. And that's it. So it's the initial part. You're, you're there ahead. You set the stage for us. And then everything that we do once we close, while we're closing it, you still have to get engaged. But even more importantly, once you close, how do you make sure the brand and the value continues to stand out independent of the salesperson ever calling you. Because we can come and go. So I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to kind of put myself out there. Sure. So about two or three weeks ago, I was uh, doing a podcast with uh, a three-time B2B SaaS CMO. And we were talking specifically about the short-term and long-term role and what the CMO does. And she said, here's the way I think about it, Steve. She said, Today's brand is tomorrow's demand. And I did the same thing. Very you good. And that's, that's the way she basically summarized everything I said in the past, like six minutes. She summarized <laughs> in six seconds. Great marketer. And, and she went on to say, now, this is what I want to ask you, um, because I've shared that with a bunch of CMOs and they're like, that's brilliant. I see them writing it down. Right. We've all been in the business for like 20 years, but like so succinctly there, what she said is. If we do that properly 
it actually takes cycles away from the sales process, right? Where instead of having to educate who, who are, we are, what our brand is, that we're actually experts at what we do, that we're trusted advisors, right? Instead of building up that trust and spending the first part of that ABM process in trying to build that up, if, if marketing has done the job right, you come in as the trusted advisor, right? And that does take sales cycles away. Would, would you agree with that? That was her assertion on that. A hundred percent. And I would say if that is the cake, the icing on the cake is if your customer becomes the brand. Uh, yes. Then the customer speaks for themselves because then they yes. do the storytelling for you. It's their value that you are actually trying to talk to others because we know it's what sells is their peers and what they did. The referenceability is what you're selling. Yes. So that, she went on to say, actually, the customer's voice is ahead of our voice. hundred percent. I mean, thousand percent. If you are, if you could give me another zero on top, I'll take a thousand percent. Yeah, for sure. 100%. So this then leads to another question, which is how that, that that's so important, how marketing does that, right? Because building our expertise, trusted advisor status, right? Opening up doors, starting conversations as B2B marketers, that's a lot of that is content, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you, pin you to the wall on this and say, give me a rating on this because I like to, I like to ask people to like put a number out there and explain why. If you were to say from a CRO point of view, how important is content to the overall growth and success of the business? One, it's not important at all. 10, it's actually vital to the growth and success of the business. It's not the only reason why, but how, you know, how important is it? On one to 10, how would you rate that content? I think I would rate it as high as 10, Steve. And the only time I would bring it down sometimes is only because you're just trying to do other, other things in sales from a pure sales function perspective. But I would say customers or prospects or community of who you deal with the ecosystem only cares about the value of your foundation. And that comes from what it stands for, which is what the content is trying to tell the story of what that value is. And without content, I don't think you can start just putting numbers and things out there that people can just align to doesn't work. It doesn't, it never worked before. It probably won't work again in the future. You know, um, I ripped this off out of Forbes magazine article. So this isn't me being brilliant, but they say content marketing, it um, solves problems. Thought leadership sparks conversations. And in a world where the trend is more and more to self-service buying in B2B, in a world where I think Gartner's stat was that B2B buyers are 83% 83 of the way through their decision-making process before they even want to talk to a salesperson, right? What that means is we have to get earlier in that buyer's process. It doesn't mean talking about features and benefits and things like that, right? That means talking about something that's interesting enough, engaging enough, helps educate them, helps them do their job, like you were saying earlier, right? So that is, I think that was the kind of behind the today's brand, right, is tomorrow's demand. It's not that today's brand has to talk about, in fact, there's a, there was a great stat that said that even having a connection, a sense of connection to your brand 
before engaging with the salesperson is as important as what the company does. Absolutely. That, you know, to your point, hundred percent, Steve, it's all about the, the content is what that is, right? And not just who in the brand and content to your point pumps sometimes even the who, because you can arrive at the who later, but it's the what you're emotionally attached to, because that's what you're looking for. But that's what you seek for your growth in your career. And if that part of that value equation from the company you are seeing that content from connects, you will stay glued to that forever, right? And so content is king, you know, no, no pun intended. It's being said before, like you, but yes, that, that's what rules. So I think if there's the combination of that, and then what you were talking about as a salesperson, you've got to constantly add value. It was, it was one thing to say, I'm going to be a connection point between you and the product that we sell, and I'm going to connect you, right? Versus I'm actually going to add value in that process, right? I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here for every step of the way. You know, I'm going to make recommendations based on what your particular needs are, right? That's that trusted advisor status, right? Yes, it's I understand enough about the industry that I can make really good recommendations, but how much of it is that I'm actually going to give you confidence in this buy because I'm going to hold your hand through the process? I mean, that's, that is the key part, right? I think to your point, when that, when you've arrived at that 80, 85% that doctor comes out with that they're there. It's that 15%. The last mile is the hardest problem, right? They're trying to get, they're trying to confirm some of these things that you be there to hold my hand. Have other people done it? How have they done it? What did they get out of it? What made you different? And what makes me come back for more once I do the first part? All those are driven by the content and the confidence that the company stands behind the value that it's trying to advertise that you arrived at an 80% on, it's at 15%. That's when the equation of, I think the sales journey begins and the true marketing content complements it to say, this is all the value, which is why you kind of are almost there, but to help you get over the line, these are all the things that I can support you with. And it's more about supporting their case, not about going back to my emotional part. It's not about driving an ROI TCO calculator onto them by emotionally helping them understand that we are going to be there for them. And this is how we're going to be for them for the rest of that 15% of their journey. So now I'm going to ask you a question that I purposely didn't ask you before. I'm sure you think. <laughs> okay. So you have an opportunity now to say, if I could tell you my CMO partner, what I would really want you to know that I kind of feel like you maybe understand a bit, but I want you to really get this, right? To help support me. What would that be? Because I know you've worked with CMOs that are fantastic. You've worked yeah. with CMOs and marketing departments where you're like knocking your head against the wall, right? If you could put it right down to it and you said, for the world of CMOs, from my point of view, this is what I really want you to know. What would that be? I would, I would say just reverse engineer. I'm an engineer now. I'm going to put my engineering hat out. Uh, and I'll say just reverse engineer 
the top 10 customers we already have and help my reps ask the questions so that the answers are the top 10 customer use cases. I would do that. You don't have to go out. You don't have to come back with completely new things, but a lot of the knowledge probably exists already where you are. It's how you simplify it in a way that to my point, how can salespeople get the trusted advisor? You, you, you trust people and give you advice because they genuinely know about you. And the only way they know about you is they're able to ask you the right questions and get to know you better. And if I cannot get that. I don't know where to start. So marketers, I think we spend a lot of time on MQLs and SQLs and leads and that's, that's great. Uh, I love the numbers. I can, if you add in sales, you have to love the numbers, but to me, that is the secondary part. And the first part is, can you really help me reverse engineer the story so I can actually ask the questions that make the value come out implicitly. So the answer is the product. The question is the value. And I love the the looking at the customers and 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 the best customer relationships, right? The, the the most profitable relationships, the ones that we want to emulate. Because as CMOs, here's what we do: we talk behind the scenes, and we're like, guys, we got to know the customer better than anybody. We got to be the voice of the customer. That means we have to be constantly talking to the customer. We can't have familiarity, right? As soon as we think we know the customer is the moment that we start drifting away. Yeah. In fact, a CMO that was on a couple of weeks ago and he came in, you know, like March Madness, you know, final four, he was like in the top four for CMO of the year. His big thing is, Steve, I actually feel like I'm, I'm untethered right now with the customer because I haven't had a conversation with a customer in the last three weeks. And he said, we have to constantly be having those conversations. And he said, here's the reason why. It's because it's not a sales conversation. When you're having a conversation with somebody as the SVP of global sales or CRO, uh, head of EMEA or whatever it is, right? You come with the title of sales. Yep. Right? And so there is a different conversation that can happen when... The buyer knows, you know, the prospect knows this isn't a sales conversation. This is a learning conversation. And we generally want to know, right? So that's, I just wanted to, if a CMO wants to be the highest voice of authority as representing the customer, would you support that? Or would you say, we both have to do that? We, we have to share that title, that role? How would you think about that? I, yeah. The way, like I said, see, I truly believe that marketing and sales are two pieces apart. So I think it's very complimentary. They actually ask the same buyer different dimensions of the same journey that they go through. Right. Because uh, there's a portion of arriving from zero to 83 before they arrived at my, my door. That's a lot to do with hopefully marketing and product in a mix of that you arrived at. So I would say that part is complicated. So they do that part of the discussion with the customer and questioning what their, what the value is, it complements the other part, which sales would engage with is questioning the applicability of that value to their business. One is value itself and then applicability into my business. And those are very complementary parts that both CMOs and CROs can work together on. You know what you just articulated that is 
because there's this riff, right? You know, like it, it, throughout the industry, everybody talks about, you know, misalignment, friction between marketing and sales. So we talk a lot about alignment. Yeah. How do we get into alignment? Mm -hmm. And I've done many an interview with CMOs on why do B2B CMOs fail so quickly, right? And they talk about misalignment a lot, obviously. What has never come up with in all those conversations is what you just said, which is there has to be this voice of authority is absolute, right? We all know the customer is the highest voice of authority. That's yeah. that's yeah. right. But the the teamwork, the pairing of what sales knows about the customer and what marketing knows about the customer needs to actually come together, right? And for because marketing is broader too, Steve. A, they're they're ahead of it. Like I said earlier, they're six, twelve, sometimes eighteen months ahead of hopefully sales coming in and knocking on the door. Right. And second, they have they should have the unique ability to look at an industry or look at a geography. You know, it's other dimensions of the business that sales, frankly, could care less about sometimes and just say, I just want to go close a deal because right. your value applies to your specific use case in your industry, in your geo. I've got that all, you know, basically in an equation and that's why I want to call Steve. I got that, right? So I've got the science part of it, but the art part of it is what marketing is helping me get to the science part. So marketing actually helps me get to fine-tuning what I need to go get so that when I arrive, it lands with a much higher probability than it's than it would have landed without. And that's yeah. why you also have product marketing, Steve. Like it's yeah. marketing. And more than marketing is so many dimensions, right? It's right. a brand marketing, it's product marketing, it's industry relationships, it's PR, right? There's so many things to it. Collectively, it's an art to put those things together in time before the first call onto the onto the prospect. That's right. the art. Right. Right. And it and also, you know, marketing needs to hear a little bit on the we put all this together in the persona, right? In the buyer's journey. And we, you know, we try to help educate the company and, and the sales team. But also we need to be listening to of this theory of what we've put together, of who this persona is and what their wants, needs, and desires, right, are, and how they describe the problem and everything. But when it comes right down to when are they actually going to buy and why, mm -hmm. right? What were the key components that actually pushed that deal over the edge, right? And we need to be listening to that too. What got the, the deals that were stuck, got them unstuck, right? What, where were we in the journey? What was going on? And what were the questions that were happening, right? So there's the theoretical, right, that we're trying to put together that has to be then married to the, okay, but here's the practical, right? Exactly. Here's Back what to the questions, right? Marketing has to reverse engineer the questions for the customer journey. And the customer will share with you how they went through that decision cycle from zero to hundred in this case. Now, once you have a customer, you have a full hundred percent, right? You don't right. have the zero to 83, you now have the full hundred and you do that. You compare it to the sales wins. You know, if you have good win wires internally, if you do a disciplined process, then you'll get the divorce into how sales actually close the deal. So they will ch share our side of the equation. Marketing can have the customer side of the equation. And now you married the two together and said, this is what the customer was looking for. So what the sales process looks like. And if you gel these two together and just have back to the science part, the five things that connect, good to go. You can, the chances of you succeeding are far higher than not. It's not an absolute certainty, 
but chances are much higher because it's been proven again and again. That's what I think. And to your point, if marketing does not keep in touch with the customers, I think they'll just lose not just their mojo, but their practicality in the whole thing, oh, right? They'll just be out of, out of sync. Yeah, I agree. And then all we'll ask about is where's my MQL and it'll be, you know, game over. <laughs> I, I threw a bunch of MQLs over the wall. Right. Like, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, this has been fantastic. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would want to say? I would say um, probably just one thing. You know, we are all in this wonderful SaaS economy with now AI and stuff, you know, supercharging with time. I would say... Um, the one, the one piece of advice I always have for either my audience or my team or anybody is, you know, I'm a trained athlete. I used to run a hundred meters. I can't run a mile. That's the other part. I'm lazy. I don't run a mile. I just run a hundred and I can see the tape. Um, but you know, it's not, there's a lot of books written about speed. You want to make decisions fast and do it good. My tweak to that is it's all about velocity. Just make sure the direction is right back to prepare well, ask the questions and think about velocity, not speed because velocity is speed with direction. And I'd rather, you know, you have one meeting a day than a thousand calls a day in sales. Yeah. Just figure out how you can get to that one meeting or that one prospect. And that's far more success than the speed of how many dials you made or how many emails you did or how many awesome LinkedIn posts you made. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, it goes back to the preparing. It goes back to like sharpen your axe before you chop, chop the tree down, right? Pretty much. <laughs> Should keep it simple, right? I love yep. that. If there were uh, people that had follow-up questions, wanted to get in touch with you, could I give them, uh, would it be appropriate to maybe give the link to your profile on LinkedIn? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I've been shut out of LinkedIn for how much solicitation I do, Steve. So I'm the, I'm the reverse too. Trust me. I love to connect. I mean, if you're not, I mean, in sales, that's about it, right? You have to be soulful and you have to love to connect. So happy to, in fact, I would love to get feedback, but also critical feedback. You know, what, what is good, what is bad? You know, people disagreeing with me back to, you know, the disruptive part would be even more awesome. Like what do they disagree with? And if they have an alternate approach to how they would achieve success would be great. All right. Well, you just made the invitation. So, <laughs> well, hey, Anush, thank you very much for coming on and sharing all of your insights. I really appreciate it. Likewise, Steve, thank you for having me. Really, really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much.